This morning's reading is from uh, the book of Colossians, uh, the first chapter, uh, one, verses 1 through 14. Uh, if you're using a pew Bible, it can be found on page 983, uh, sandwiched right between Philippians and 1 Thessalonians. Uh, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Anthony. Are we on? Please keep, uh, keep your place there in Colossians. <clears throat> it's amazing um, how I, uh, I don't know, who picks the music? I mean, I, I know God is sovereign, but it's amazing how as we sing these songs, how so many of them just remind me of the things that I feel the Lord wants us to talk about this morning. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't have a very good prayer life. By that I mean I don't pray as often as I should. And that's probably because a lot of times... I'm not sure how to pray or what to pray for. I don't think of myself as a very good prayer. Prayer? Prayer? I don't think I, don't think I pray well. Uh, but how should we pray? How do we pray? How should we pray for each other? That's what I want to look at this morning. Verses 9 through 14, Paul explains how he is praying for the saints at Colossae. So I think we can learn some things from the Apostle Paul, and I think our prayer life can change by doing that. So if we're going to talk about prayer, maybe prayer is a great, not maybe, prayer is a great place to start. Father, I ask that your truth would be made known this morning, that your word would accomplish its purpose and that we would leave here changed and more and
and more looking like the image of your son. I pray this for his sake and in his name. Amen. So how do you pray? How should you pray? How do we pray for each other? I have a great fear that I'm going to be misunderstood here in this first little bit, but if you know me, that's common for me. For a long time, I have been uncomfortable with the standard prayers of pray for health, pray for safety, prayer for jobs, prayer for comfort. I'm not saying it is wrong to pray for such things. It most assuredly is not. Those are good things to pray for. Andrew prayed earlier for safe travel, for uh, health for people that are struggling. It is not wrong to do that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, are these the best things to pray for? For instance, oftentimes, these are the types of things we hear. I have a nephew that's enslaved to drugs. Pray that he would get off of drugs. I have an atheist sister who was in a bad car accident. Pray that she get healed. I have an unbelieving brother that's in the hospital with cancer. Pray that he gets comfort. Is that the thing those people need the most? Comfort and healing? They're unbelievers. What do we care if they have, I'm not trying to be mean, what do we care if they have comfort now if for all eternity they're most uncomfortable? Do we pray for the best things? And I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for those other things. But if that's all we pray for, there's a lot of books about prayer out there. You can find them. One of the most popular books out a few years ago, okay, not, to me, everything seems like a, just a few years ago. To some of you, it was a lifetime ago. To some of you, you've never heard of it. But it was a very, extremely popular book on prayer a few years ago. It was a craze, a fad. It was a rage. And I'd be willing to bet a few of you read that little pocket-sized book on prayer. This book was not rooted in the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus gave us an example of how to pray, a blueprint to prayer. It wasn't rooted in any of the prayers of the prophets of old or the apostles' prayers. It was based on one little, lone, seemingly out-of-place verse in First Chronicles. You know it? You dotted. I think you know it. Some of you know it. Some of you remember it. In the midst of 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles is a bunch of baguettes. And, and, I, and I don't mean the French uh, bread. It's so-and-so fathered, so-and-so who fathered, so-and-so who fathered, so-and-so. For verse upon verse upon verse upon verse, and all of a sudden this one little prayer comes up. Anybody know it? Anybody remember it? The prayer of Jabez, which is 1 Chronicles 4.10. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. A tiny book, 93 pages, all written on one verse. The prayer of Jabez is not really a, a bad thing. It even states further on in the verse or the next verse that God granted Jabez what he wanted. So I'm going out on a limb a little bit here. But if you look at that, 
even that prayer is a little bit on the selfish side. He's asking to be blessed. He's asking that his border be enlarged. And he's asking to be kept from pain. I say again, those things are not bad to pray for. It is not bad to pray for those things. But it's human-centered. Which is why it was a rage, a rage, and a fad. All kinds of unbelievers, all kinds of people from all kinds of faiths don't believe in Yahweh, believe in pantheism. They all bought that book because they thought that prayer was a good luck charm, a talisman, a guarantee. If I pray this, I will get what I want. They want to be blessed. They had no desire to bless God. They want their borders enlarged. They have no desire to see God's kingdom enlarged. Again, I just, I know I'm going to be heard wrong. It is not wrong to ask God to bless you. But what exactly are your motives? And I'll say the same thing about some of us who look to Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. I've heard that verse abused. I, I really want a new house. I, I live in Wisconsin. I'd love to have a cabin up north. Oh, what I really want is that new Harley. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to delight myself in the Lord. Then I'll get what I want. Well, what am I delighting in? Am I delighting in the Lord or am I delighting in the lake cottage? Or am I delighting in the Harley going down Highway 60 in the fall? Okay, I'm sorry. If I delight in those things, I'm not delighting in the Lord. Okay, enough uh, bad examples, if you will. Let's look at the way the Apostle Paul prayed for the Christians at Colossae. And let's see how that lines up with how we pray on a regular basis. I'm going to say it again and again and again. I'm not saying it's wrong to ask God to bless you. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for healing and for safe travel. I'm saying sometimes we get caught up and that's all we pray for. And there are better things we can pray for. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. Actually, we could go back earlier because we see it also in verses 3 and 4. But we're going to go uh, 9 through 14 for the most part. Starting at verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 9. And so from the day we heard, from the first day that Paul heard they were Christians, he started to pray for them. And we have not ceased to pray for you. Praying without ceasing. Paul mentions that more than once, doesn't he? But what does he pray for? The very end of verse 9, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will, with spiritual wisdom and understanding. How are we filled with the knowledge of God? Where do we learn about and get our knowledge about God? And that's actually not what he prays for, not knowledge of God, but knowledge of his will. It's not just, I want to get all the wisdom and knowledge of God I can so I can win Bible trivia, so I can get that pin that says, I know more about God than anybody else. We're to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, 
People pray for God's will all the time. And it's possible that he means, is it God's will that I switch jobs? Is it God's will that we buy this home? Is it God's will that my elderly parent live with me or with us? Is it God's will that I marry this person? And those are things that we should seek God for. We should seek God for everything. It's not, it's not wrong. It's a good thing to ask for guidance on those things. But again, they're, even, it, it, they're still me-centered. They're still human-centered. But we don't see any of that in Paul's prayer here. The end of verse 9, spiritual wisdom and understanding. Our Lord wants us to have spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. Knowledge is not enough, and knowledge of God's will is not enough. We need wisdom, spiritual wisdom, and understanding to be able to apply God's will. So how do we know his will? From his word. Just a few passages, not an exhaustive list by a long shot. Ezekiel 18.30, Therefore I will judge you, a house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest your iniquity be your ruin. Here it's pretty obvious. What's the Lord's will? He wants us to repent. Pardon me. Why did I turn away when the mic is here? Uh, Amos 5, 14 and 15. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. And as you have said, hate evil and love good. Establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. What is God's desire? What is God's will? That we would hate evil, that we would love good, that we would establish justice. Not just justice for me, but establish justice. Here's a little verse most of you probably never heard of. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. Again, we see justice spark up. We see the call for love, for kindness, to be humble, humble before your God. 1 Peter 2.15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The foolish people, the unbelievers of the world, mock and ridicule, and oftentimes Christians give them good reason to because we don't do the will of God. We don't do necessarily what is right and what is good. But by doing so, we take away their accusations and we silence them. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. It is not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Purity, purity, pure intimacy is clearly the will of God. Here's another passage. We think of, when we think of this, we think of just one or two places. But I think if you'll see this passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22, you can list off a whole lot of things that are God's will. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord to admonish you. 
and do esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourselves. I urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them, seek that no one repays anyone evil for evil, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecy. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And we normally just think of verse 18, which is rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus but I want you to see that that paragraph describes the will of God for his people and it's the whole thing. Respect those who labor among you. Be at peace among yourselves. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient. Don't repay evil. Always seek good. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from his evil. Not an exhaustive list, but an exhausting list. I kind of did... You forget where we were. We're trying to figure out the, not the will of God so that we can do the will of God. And we see recurring themes through all of these. We see that we're to seek justice. We're to be kind. We're to be patient. We're to be humble, generous, sexual purity. We're to do good. We're to hate evil. And the very first passage we looked at from Ezekiel is we're to repent. That's where it all starts. So what? So now I know the will of God. So what? Let's look back at our text. Paul prays that we would be filled with the knowledge of the will, of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Others, a couple familiar words there, walk. We're told over and over again in Scripture to walk in the Lord. Colossians 2, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive him? By faith. Ephesians 5, 8, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Do you live in the light? Excuse me. Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Are you living for yourself? I'm saved, I can do what I want. Or are you living by the Spirit? 2 Corinthians 5.7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We're walking by faith. And that we use that word so often we forget what it means. We walk in hope. In trust, we are fully relying on. But verse 10 starts with, so walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That manner worthy of the Lord is another phrase that pops up quite often. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Philippians 1, 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 We exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom 
and glory. So then the next question is, what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? I have a cousin, well, I've got a lot of cousins, I got a cousin named Ken, and a few weeks ago he was in Florida with his son Jake. Jake has some cognitive disabilities. They were in Florida for the Special Olympics. They came home with medals. While Ken and his son Jake were competing, they earned, they performed, they walked in such a manner that they came home medal winners. Jake and Ken earned the right to be worthy of those medals. And now they can walk proudly saying they have Olympic medals. They have done something very few of us could ever even dream of. But is that what Paul means here when he says to walk worthy, to earn it, to let your walk in the Lord prove to other people and prove to God that you are worthy? I'd like to read something from Paul Tripp. He's talking about, he uses a couple different uh, passages of Scripture, Ephesians, Colossians. So I tweaked a little bit, so I kind of paraphrased it, but, but not, not really. Um, I would like to, quoting Paul Tripp here, Unfortunately, I think we have misunderstood and mishandled passages like this. The common thought is usually, it is your job to live up to the standard of the gospel. Once I heard someone basically preach, get your act together. If you don't, you'll bring shame to the name of Jesus. If that's the message of this verse, we're in trouble. You and I have no ability to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. If you think you do, you've misunderestimated the power of indwelling sin. Don't get me wrong, I firmly believe that the Bible calls us out of sin and into a radically transformed lifestyle of righteousness. We are no longer free to do as our sinful hearts desire. We've been bought with a price and are called to glorify God with our actions. That being said, it is not to live up to the gospel, but rather live out of the gospel. It is an incredibly important distinction. Instead of saying, here is the standard, now live up to it, the Apostle Paul encourages the believers to live out the gospel through the power of the indwelling spirit. In Ephesians 3, 6, Paul says, according to the riches of his glory, may he grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. In other words, because you've been strengthened by the spirit, you can now live in a new and different way, end quote. He ends out talking about Ephesians 6, but we can say the same thing about the Colossians. Because they have the knowledge of God's will, because they have been given spiritual wisdom and understanding, he is enabling them to walk as he, he God, desires that they walk. It's really important that we get a proper understanding of that phrase, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. There are two ways we could, there might be more, I could only think of two ways that we could look at that. Walk in a way, live in such a way that you prove to God that you are worthy of heaven and you are worthy of God's blessings. Or you could walk in a way, live in such a way that others see how worthy 
your God is. Is your God worthy of your complete devotion? Is your God worthy of your obedience? Worthy of self-sacrifice? Of those two, which do you think is more consistent with the Bible as a whole? And which is more appealing to the unbeliever? You need to work, 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 strive and struggle, and then only have a glimmer of hope that you've worked hard enough to live in a manner to appease your God? Or to live filled with love and wonder and awe and willing devotion and self-sacrifice? Because your God's undeserved love was poured out and given freely to you. So if we as beloved followers of Jesus, as those devoted to him for all that he has done for us, want to live and walk in a manner worthy of our Lord, we need his knowledge, his wisdom, his understanding. We need to know his will. But in walking in this manner, the Apostle Paul lists four things that accompany that. Let's read, starting at verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance with patience and joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 10, bear fruit. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It is fully pleasing to God if we bear fruit. Again, this isn't done in your power. Ephesians 2, verse 10, you may have heard of it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. John 15, 4 and 5, abide, this is Jesus speaking, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There again, it's not you doing it, it's his enabling, it's his power. But how does one abide? How does one stay abiding in Jesus? By believing, by trusting, by faith, by being in constant union, common union, communion with King Jesus. That's how we do bear fruit for every, in every good work. And that helps us increase in the knowledge of God, which increases us to get his will. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glory. Now we're getting somewhere. Now, I titled this, I could, I'm no good at titles. I titled this, Pray Like an Apostle. Well, I want power. Now we're going to get somewhere. Power. My shadow is going to heal people. I'm going to throw a dirty Kleenex on someone that I touched, and it's going to heal them. That's power. This is the same word here. Uh, I don't know Greek, but I, by studying, I, I've, everybody said the same thing here, so I don't think I'm out on a limb. The word here is duomus, um, or, or dunamis. It's the same Greek word that we get dynamite from. That's power. With all power according to his glorious might. Dynamite. Fourth of July is not next week. It's with us all the time. We're walking around in power. 
power. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. No, 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 no. No, No, that's... I don't want power for that. And I don't want power for that. I want power. But maybe that's kind of the power that Jesus lived with. There are four things Paul prays for, that we bear fruit, that we increase in the knowledge, and that we endure with patience. That's not how I usually pray. I don't want to endure. I want to avoid. I don't want to be patient. I want to avoid. I know I want to avoid it now. But it's not just enduring and enduring with patience. Paul is praying that we do it with joy while giving thanks to the Father. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance and the saints of light. I know what Paul means when he's talking about endurance here. We talked a little bit about it in Sunday school. Paul did not have a wonderful life. We can go to other passages where he was beaten, left for dead, shipwrecked, and on and on and on. He's calling me to endure those things? Patiently? With joy? Giving thanks? Why would I want to do that? What could possibly motivate me to go through that kind of trouble patiently, joyfully, giving thanks? Because has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus, Yahweh, God, has qualified you. And this is not like Ken and Jake. This is not like my cousin and his son. They needed, like regular Olympics, they needed to qualify. It wasn't anybody who has cognitive disabilities gets to go to the Olympics. They needed to qualify. They needed to prove themselves before they could be on the national stage. That's not what this qualify is. This qualify is a sure thing. If you are a follower of Jesus and you have placed your full and complete hope and trust in him, then you share in the inheritance in the saints of light. You are now in the light. I read it earlier, Ephesians 5.8, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. And whether or not you want to admit it, you were in darkness. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You have been delivered. That means you were in darkness. You were in the domain, the control, under the power and in the kingdom of darkness. But he has delivered you from darkness and brought you to the kingdom of his beloved son. And who is that son? King Jesus. 
And it is in him and because of him that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Because God chose to place his affection upon you, though undeserving as you were, he did. And then he transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption seems to be a religious word nowadays. We don't use it very often. We don't even use the word redeem unless we're talking about coupons. But here's just a regular basic definition of the word. Merriam-Webster defines the word redeemed. To buy back, to get or win back, to free from what distresses or harms, to free from captivity by payment of a ransom, to extricate from or help to overcome something detrimental, to release from blame or debt, and finally, to free from the consequences of sin. Now, if Jesus has done that for you, don't you want to live in a manner worthy of the Lord? And remember, it still isn't you. You are strengthened with all power in his glorious might. If you've placed your trust, your faith, your hope in the risen Jesus, then you can and you should pray for the knowledge of his will, for spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, which will cause you to bear fruit, increase more in his knowledge, endure with patience, with joy and thanksgiving, because you are no longer under the domain of darkness, but you are in the kingdom of his beloved Son. So we live in a manner, in an hour, when the world doesn't know what's going on. They just don't understand because they don't necessarily see believers living in a way that shows their God is worthy of all of their devotion. But if we and I'm not, again, I'm saying it for the last, well, probably not the last time. It is not wrong to pray for other things, to pray when a car is broke down, to pray for health. It's not wrong for those. But along with those things, how often do you pray, as uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 said, do you pray that you would be at peace, that you would admonish the idle, that you would encourage the faint-hearted, that you would help the weak, be patient, that you wouldn't repay evil, that you would always seek good, that you would rejoice, that you would pray without ceasing, that you would give thanks, that you wouldn't quench the spirit, you wouldn't despise prophecy, that you would test everything, hold fast to what is good and abstain from evil. How often do you pray for those things as much as we pray for our own healing and comfort and things? It's not wrong to pray for those things. It's good. But are we also praying for the other things? If, however, your trust, your hope, your faith are in government, or in your job, or in your 401k, and not in Jesus, then it is clear that you are in darkness. Whether you think so or not, you are under the power of darkness, and you are captive in the kingdom of darkness. I ask you to consider that to think deeply and thoughtfully about that. Call out to Jesus, confess your sin, repent, 
And then you will no longer be in darkness, but you will be transferred to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Let's pray. Father, how do we pray? We see a lot of different things. Jesus gave us a blueprint. Here Paul tells us the things he prays for. So we ask that you would help us to know your will more and that you would give us wisdom. And we ask this, that it would be pleasing to you, that we would bear fruit in good works, that we would endure, that we would give thanks and joy because of who you are, that we wouldn't be defined by our circumstances, but we would be defined by who the Lord is, who our God is, who our Savior is. And because of that, we would walk around and people would say, you're doing all of that for your God? He must be worthy of something special. And then we could tell them about what Jesus has done for them. I ask that your word would accomplish all that you require it to do. In your name we pray. Amen.